listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. You just heard right there from Seattle, Washington in the late 70s, Helen Keller with Dump 
on the chumps. And Helen Keller actually was Norman Durkee, who played the piano on Taking Care of Business by BTO. But that was his punk band, Helen Keller. Today on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews from the Rock the Bells Festival with Nas and MC Supernatural. And right now, here's a guy that Nas sampled, Rodriguez, with Sugarman. And in an interview with Nas, and in an interview with MC Supernatural on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show. Rodriguez! Tired of these scenes For a blue coin Won't you bring back All those colors to my dreams Silver magic ships You carry Jumpers, coke, sweet Mary Oh 
are you? What's up, y'all? This is Nas. Nas, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Appreciate it. I have a gift for you, Nas. It is right here. Joski Love. What can you tell the people about Joski Love and the Pee Wee Dance? It's one of the earliest records I used to hear come on the radio stations late night. Uh, became a big record, though. The Pee Wee's Dance, the Do the Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, this is back in the days, man. Thank you. That's for you, a present. And you actually had him play your birthday party or something? Yeah, man, I had a birthday party a few years back. It was a surprise birthday party. And um, I was surprised because uh, a lot of our pioneers and, and rap music came out, legends came out, and uh, did, did a show. And, uh, you know, it was, it was amazing. And Joe Ski Love represent. Joe Ski Love represented. Big up to Joe Ski Love. Much love. Nas, here we are in Canada, and I always think of this band when I think of Canada. Main Source. Main Source, this is classic. Look at the album cover. Look at, look at what's happening. He puts the needle to the wax and just atoms, breaking atoms. Main Source, this is crazy. Now, did they ever talk about Canada? Because, of course, you're on this LP. Did they ever talk about Canada? Because they're from Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I met both of the DJs and both from Toronto. That was, that was a long time ago. I honestly can't really remember. I did know they were from Toronto back then. And there's another Canadian connection there, believe it or not, Nas. This band right here, the Incredible Bongo Band. That's right, that's right. These boys right here, this is real stuff right here. Yeah. And you know what the connection is? Because believe it or not, turn it over. Look where it was recorded. You've sampled this a few times. Absolutely. Right in... Yeah, right in uh, Vancouver. Van Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Absolutely. See, these guys right here put down some incredible, incredible music who are, uh, I think the early, early hip-hop rap guys was like, were like sampling incredible bongo band. You know what I'm saying? This is, this right here is real material. And here we are in Vancouver, BC, Canada, and there's a folk rock band called the Be Good Tanyas, and they have a connection to you, Nas. Do you know that? No, nah, I ain't know that. The connection is your dad played cornet on their record. Oh, uh, well, that's what's up. What can you tell the people about your dad and his cornet playing? My pops is a musician. He's always been in the music in the, uh, music game. So, you know, he kind of he was the first guy that I saw uh, doing something different from everybody else's father that was around me. A lot of people's fathers around me had succumbed to hard drugs or street life and what he managed to do with his talent really inspired me and he's on the be good tanya's record and they're from vancouver another canadian connection nas yeah man yeah nas you have the song you da you're the man you the man and that song samples rodriguez rodriguez has a song called sugar man sugar man yeah yeah and i contacted rodriguez and i said i'm going to be doing an interview with nas that's crazy. And he has a message for you. This is from Rodriguez to Nas. Thanks for the support. It's greatly appreciated. Hey, shouts to Rodriguez. That's an amazing thing that you reached out to him. That song is on the Stillmatic album. <laughs> You're tripping me out. That song is on the Stillmatic album, and, uh, you know, that, uh, I really like that record. And uh, shout out to Rodriguez for being a good guy. And believe it or not, he asked me to give you a copy of his recently remastered album. And right on there is the Sugar Man, Cold incredible, Fact. Incredible. See, this is what I listen to. I like the beats, the old joints that, like, that really was like on some next level stuff. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, beautiful. No, no as I was wondering, is Stephen Colbert, is he a gangster TV host? 
Stephen Colbert is a gangster TV host. That's my favorite TV host right now. Here you are in Canada at Rock the Bells. One of the hosts is DJ Supernatural, MC Supernatural. Yeah. He's freestyled at one time. He has the world record for nine hours. Wow. Now, what I was wondering, I heard, Nas, that at one time you did a freestyle for so many hours and a person listening to that freestyle was Biggie. Is it true that Biggie fell asleep because your freestyle went on and on and on? I, I don't know. That is, that's a wild story. Where you get that from? I don't know. I just heard that you were doing a freestyle and Biggie fell asleep to it because you just kept on going on and on and on. Well, we had his house in Brooklyn before he blew up. Maybe, 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 maybe the back then. Maybe back then. Nas, New York State of... Mine. What can you tell the people about these particular records right here bringing on the New York State of not Mine, Nas? This right here, Lakim Shabazz, he was uh, down with the Flavor Unit. That's Queen Latifah's crew and uh, 45 King and all of them. I ain't seen this in forever. Uh, Special Ed... The Mission, this was a classic right here. This right here, yeah. This got me into it. Organized Confusion, they're from, from Queensbridge. Yeah, they're from Queens, not Queensbridge, it's the borough of Queens, and they're from another section of Queens. But uh, yeah, they get much love, yeah. One other band I didn't mention is right here, MC Shan, now he's from. Wow, he's from the bridge. This is my inspiration, y'all. This dude here, see where he's at? This is the project where, I'm, where I come from. That's the elevator doors open. See, that's the first floor. And that's the project hallway right there. And he's telling the crackhead, Jane, stop this crazy thing. And you notice his logo is crazy. It's almost like Superman or something, right? Kango the hat. I think a little bit before Cool J was doing that, he was doing it straight out of QB. Was there an elevator on that floor? Because there weren't no elevators, were there? Yeah, you walk up the steps that she's sitting on, and you go to this elevator, go up to the top floor. And Nas, we... You're crazy, you're crazy. We can't forget about the ladies, Nas. <laughs> what can you tell the people about J.J. Fad signed to death row? Um, nothing. I have no, no idea about them. You have... I remember them. What else? What's next? Come well, on. I was gonna... You're tripping me out. Come on. What, what's next? You have the line, slam it like the... Oh, Iron Sheik. Slam it like the Iron Sheik. <laughs> you are serious. I like you. Thank you, Nas. So you... And Iron Sheik, of course, has a doll. And what I was wondering there, Nas... You know this is this is guy. This guy is crazy. This is crazy. Now, what I was wondering, your early manager, MC Search, has a clock. This is insane, dog. Is this happening? And, Nas, there's a Pete Rock comb. Pete Rock! Wait, first of all, I need to know, are these all mine to leave with? Uh, not quite. That's, now you're becoming uncool now, because... <laughs> See, this is crazy. This is good, like, stuff you want to put to the side and stuff like that. But what I was wondering, Nas, is when is there a Nas action figure? I looked for one, but I couldn't find one. A Pete Rock comb, an MC Search clock, the Iron Sheik? I don't know, homeboy. You, that's... What's next, man? What else you got? What's in the trick bag? Well, winding up here, Nas, you have the song called Ether. Could you not put the mic so close? And what else you got in your trick bag? Well, what I was wondering, in the song you mentioned, you compared J.J. to... Hold on a second. What I'd like to know is, what's else in the trick bag? Okay, here's in the trick bag. Who do we have here? Jimmy Walker. Is this an autograph? 
That's an autographed copy to, to me, but I brought one for you, Nas. Your own copy of Dynamite by Jimmy Walker. Do you have this record? Nah. That nah. is a gift for you. All right, cool. But you know what? Good Times is a classic. And uh, JJ's my man right here. So uh, You do mention him in the song Ether, right? Oh, uh, you know, don't do that because then, then I could take that as disrespect. So I wanted to make sure you had the record. Something else, yeah. The record is different. The record, this is like uh, classic TV. And winding up here, Nas, did you see the movie Belly 2 at all? No. Because you were in Belly 1. Didn't see it. And lastly, Nas, I have a gift for you right here. A weed man hat. I don't know nothing about that. It's from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and it comes with special instructions there on the weed man hat. And if you see what the instructions say at the bottom? Say no to drugs, kids. All right. Well, thanks so much, Nas. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? You are fucking nuts. You are fucking psycho. But it's all love. It's all music. Peace. Thanks so much, Nas. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-do-do-do. Peace. Almost, Nas. Do-do-do-do-do. Yo, it's over. All right? It's over. It's over. Move the mic. Move the mic. Thank you. All right.
Every street rap, we dilate, activate, yo, demonstrate. And I'm ready to work it out. Dilated and we ready to work it out. J5 and they ready to work it out. Two the fish get on the bike and work it out. Let's sit back and inhale this nice tree While words ricochet like Denzel and Ice-T Come lyrically feisty, embedded like light speed Flow nicely, some women can truly entice me But watch the quiet ones, no glocks and fired guns Or shots with paragraphs that block entire lungs Burn crops and marathons, want stocks and barabons With rock on and super nap, we blow it like Sarah Bond. Yo, my Uzi weighs a ton like Fat Joe and Big Pun Tommy Hilfiger made Tommy Boy a Tommy Gun 357 style deception Pistol grip pump Aimed in your direction, uh, armed and strapped and packed for the attack. For any situation they trip, we blast it back, drive-bys, uh, walk-ups, we give a fuck. I light it up off the back of a U-Haul yo, truck. Uh, yo, I preach over the S3000 computer with supernatural Jurassic 5 and Joe Buddha. The type to rock, sign the autograph and spark a lot, but never feed the birds, leave them pecking in the parking lot. Dilated, expand worldwide, watch me land, watch the watches, North Hollywood to Nottingham. It's me that makes you... Panic, something frantic, rocker, aka our science, a new planet. Yo, react on contact with supernatural. We blow your wig back, best 
believe that he's back and feeling that revolutionary street rap we dilate activate yo demonstrate and i'm ready to work it out dilating and they ready to work it out j5 and they ready to work it out more more get on the mic and work it out it's principalities involved in this we dominate tricks classical j5 with dilated and supernatural we bring the heat to your heart Supernatural freestyle extraordinaire, super dope MC. Here to chill out and have a little talk today. Supernatural, welcome to Rock the Bells. Thank you for having me. Or you should be welcoming me because you've been to all the Rock the Bells pretty much, haven't you? You've been on the stage more than anybody else. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, I've been down with Rock the Bells since the conception, since it first started. And um, I've probably been on every single show. I, I have, ever since it started. I actually started hosting at uh, Club Utopia when it was still just club dates, when we have artists come out. And from there, it elevated into a concert. And then from there, it elevated into a, a, a tour and then from there it elevated into a world-class tour and I've been fortunate enough to be affiliated and you know you know tied in with the people that you know were the brainchilds of Rock the Bells and you know it helps me every year to stay relevant and to stay in tune with the audience so it's a blessing how about for kids coming to Rock the Bells have you seen any of the kids develop into rappers from all the years you've been going any of the kids going hey super Nat, I'm a young kid I'm an up-and-coming rapper and then they turn into a rapper um, the only person that I could probably say that I've seen do that would be my son. My son is 18 years old now, very well-trained MC. But Rock the Bells fans are very unique. Like, you know, they know what real hip-hop is, they know what quality music is, and they know what they want. So, you know, just like right now, we got Common on stage tearing it down. Like, Rock the Bells brings some of the best hip-hop, and it breeds culture, and it helps keep the culture alive. And I, like I said before, I'm very fortunate, and I think that every MC, I can speak for them, and 
and say that, you know, it's fortunate that we still have a venue that brings us all together in one place. It's wonderful. Supernatural, how did you find me? How did you find me, Supernatural? Because we're here together somehow. The way it happened was, I have a friend named Adam Kennedy, and he's a really good friend of mine, and uh, we were um, watching a video. He showed me a video. He's like, have you ever heard this guy Nardwar? He's like, yo, he's really this different, zany type of uh, guy that does interviews, but he said, I think that it would be dope if you you and him get together. But I'm watching the interview, and you asked African Bambada something in an interview, and Bambada was like, he called me Supernature, of course. He always calls me Supernature instead of Supernatural, but it's okay. That's African Bambada. But um, he said Supernature. I think he asked him something about good performances. Or, or asked him, who's like an unheralded, unrecorded MC? Exactly. And, and I, I thought he was going to give an answer from like the 70s or the 60s or something. Yeah, and he said me. And like, for me, it was a great day for me because, I mean, I've known Bambada for years, but the fact that it's just you're having an interview and you ask him such a random question and I pop into the in his mind was a great thing because I'm kind of looked at as like you know a uh, uh, unsigned or, or you know uh, a guy that's never released a hit but I still have all the love and the admiration of all the fans so you know that's how I got in contact with you was through Bambada and my friends had actually heard of you Supernatural because one of my friends is in Colorado he lives in Colorado mm-hmm. have you been to Colorado much? I've been to Colorado I like Denver very much you know and he took your CD out of the library really? yeah your CD is in in the library in Colorado. I did not know that, and that is a beautiful thing to know. That 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 is definitely a beautiful thing to know. I had no clue. But that isn't too unusual because you love libraries, don't you? You love studying. You love the dictionary. I do. I love books. Books is one of my favorite things. I was just noticed the other day. I'm like, I got like six different bags in the house from different tours with different books, and I take different books with me all the time. Actually, but you read dictionaries so you have words to rhyme with and freestyles, don't you? Let me tell you something. My my father always told me. He said, if you don't know nothing, you can't write music about nothing. So read. So I read the newspaper. I read the dictionary. Anything that's interesting, I try to at least read some something every day. You know, because a lot of people, you don't understand, being an articulate person is one of the, you know, biggest vehicles we have to communicate. So why, why not read and empower yourself? And the dictionary is great. It's like a plethora of words you can use. That's what it is. For freestyle and stuff. Exactly. Now how's your spelling? Spelling is is okay. It's not the greatest, but I, I'm I'm pretty fluent with my pen. You know, I write what I what I what I love to write. You know, but I'm not the type of guy that just will sit and write a rhyme straight out the air. Like I would like, I'm the type of person that hears a beat first. And then, then I'll pin to it. When you're doing a freestyle Supernat, we're speaking here to Supernat live at Rockta. Bells. You're the MC of Rockta Bells. I should say that. Like, you're the official MC for the entire tour, aren't you? Absolutely. I've been the MC, like I said, since the very conception. It's, um, I bring the acts on. I bring them off. Um, I also perform in between acts, you know. Um, when there's a second stage, I do two sets a day. I actually broke the world record for the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest rhyme right here at Rockta Bells about four years ago now, five years ago, it was formally held by a guy named Dio. From Canada. From Canada. And shout out to Dio. He's a great guy. He, he's a very classy guy. He's um, even like wrote a thesis on hip-hop, hasn't he? Um, I don't, I, I didn't know that, but that's a beautiful thing to know. But, uh, you know, after I had, um, broke the record, he actually reached out to me and and sent me a little, a little word of encouragement. And I, I thought it was a beautiful thing, you know, I, like, 
It's great. So, so you broke the world record for freestyling, Supernat. Nine hours and 15 minutes off the head, to be exact. Okay, so you're on stage. You're doing all this freestyling. What is the best food to freestyle with? Because you must have eaten. Um, no, I actually didn't really eat all day. Um, when I did finally take a bite, um, I had grapes, peaches, you know. So that's good supernatural freestyling food. Yeah, freestyling how about, food. How about going to the washroom? Did you rap? Did you freestyle about going to the washroom when you were going to the washroom? Unbelievably not. I did not use the bathroom the entire day. And I say this because it was strange to me. I thought about it after I was finished. After the nine hours was up, I sweated. I think it was because I sweated so hard that whole run that there was no there was no liquid in my body. <laughs> Supernatural, when you're doing a freestyle and you're up there rocking it out, do you ever use words that people know that don't exist? Like people don't think the word exists? You mean like make up some of my own, own stuff? Yeah, like they don't believe you that the word exists, but it does because you've read the dictionary so many times. Um, I've never really used a word where anybody, excuse me, had um, challenged me if it was a real word or not, but I do know a few words that have been given to me, you know, when I ask for words from the audience to rhyme with and people try to trick me with a few words. I, I do know three words in the English language that don't rhyme with anything in the world and oddly enough, it's colors. It's orange, purple, and silver. And people at home do not sit up for the rest of the night. It's not door hinge. It's not quiver. It's not Urkel. It's none of those. Those three words, you'll never find anything to rhyme with them. Phonetically. Now, when you're up there on stage, Rock the Bells, you have people hand you stuff, don't you? Yeah, that's one of my trademarks. That's one of my signatures that um, I've been doing for years. And I find that no matter where I've went in the world and I do that routine, it transcends everything. It transcends a record. It transcends a, a, a language barrier. People love seeing something happen right in front of their face. So that actually started from a bedroom exercise, you know, when I would be in my room and my older brother would come in the room and he'd be like, okay, rap exercise, rap about everything in the room, you know, and he would point at stuff in the room and pick stuff up off the floor and whatever would be around. And that's how I honed that. And then I did one of my first real tours, like, like I'd say in like, maybe like 90, two and I went to England and I didn't have a full set and I didn't know what I was going to do so I, st I, I I incorporated that into my show and once I seen the way the crowd reacted to that from that point on that's what I did. Have people ever handed you stuff you don't know what it is? Every now and then I've got some weird items you know like I got like a skate key one time. I didn't. I didn't know what it was. Um, it's probably been the weirdest thing that I didn't know what it was. But I've got like real strange things. You know, girls have threw their bras on the stage. Uh, rubber chickens, masks, uh, enormous amounts of marijuana, um, which you throw back in the audience. Usually, I don't. <laughs> no, I usually throw it back, or I might keep a little for myself. But. Um, you know, those are the those are the things. Yeah, that's one of my trademark, one of my signature things that I do. Now, Supernatural, right here we have the archivist from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. He loves hip-hop history, but he's brought a few items he wanted to hand to you. Do you think you could quickly bust something out for us? I got you. Okay, Archivist, right can you... Right over comments B, watch. Archivist, can you bring a few things? Archivist here loves hip-hop history in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Okay. So he's got a few items, so maybe you could just demonstrate to the people what exactly you do. Okay, first right. off, Archivist, what do you got? 
I got a chair. All right now, sit back, relax. Right now, Max Renax. Hey, I bring it off the top, burst to the track. Everything that they say, you know it must be fat. Hey, in the darkest hour, yo, I rock with power. I sit down in the chair and I sit and smell the flowers. Yeah, that's my attitude, brother. And it's kind of rude when I'm on the mic. I love to spike it and I am the dude. I'm like a weapon. They can call me the Reverend. My freestyles are fast, slow like Heinz 57. Anywhere that they go, know what I want it. It's not 57, yo, brother, it's 100. Huh, anywhere that I rock nonstop, I told you I spit it off the top, make it pop. Hey, and I could drop it, they just can't stop it. Got a couple cards, nothing else in his pocket. Yo, it's necessary to have vocabulary. I sit and write freestyles on my Blackberry. Hey, ain't that right? We could bring the vibe. Keep on digging now inside your archives. And yo, they can love it, never put one above it. Yo, the Iron Sheik posing as a finger puppet. Knowing for a fact, your brother right and exact. I took my finger, brother, stuck it inside of his back. Hey, anywhere that I spit, I must react. And when it comes to rhymes and that, they never lack. Dough is gonna stack. Yo, I must react. And yo, we just took out a cannon battery pack. Hmm, yeah, the way I drop it is so ill. Freestyles, yo, brother, flow like windmills. Couldn't you tell? Yo, my style's infinite, just like his prints. Yo, it's very different. Colors are intricate. Yeah, it's kind of nifty. And from Canada, he just gave me another 50. And I can never slip, and we can never rip. Since you gave me a 50, I hold this as a tip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, amazing! <laughs> Supernatural in the house. That's what I do, man. What was really impressive is you even knew it was the Iron Sheik. Yes. Like that was a bit of a trick, wasn't it? Yeah. See, uh, one thing, uh, I'm, I'm an old school cat, man. I, I love, I love pop culture. You know what I'm saying? And there's not too many things that when I seen it, I knew exactly who it was. You know. You also love the word number three, don't you? You like number three, don't you? Three, three is a special number because three is a number because it's the you know, it's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You know, the, the three main components of life, man, woman, and child. You know, one, two, three, it's easy as one, two, three, A, B, C. You know, three is a number that everybody can remember. It resonates to a to a certain energy, you know, so that's why I love the number three so much. The three and seven are my favorite numbers. You have a favorite word at all that you love to use? That you use quite a bit? Uh, people accuse you of using? Um, there's several different words that I use, but... I wouldn't say that I have a favorite word because the English language is so vast that why wouldn't, well, how could I pick one word that would be my favorite? I love, I love the way automatopoeia rolls off the lip in a, in a, in a rhyme. How many words a minute can you do? Have you ever timed yourself? Huh, that's a good one, Narwhal. I never ever thought of that. Um, that's actually something that needs to be tested. Has anybody transcribed any of your freestyles and uncovered you? I'll, no, no, that's not happened, but I'll tell you something really good that happened. Last year, we were in Maryland on Rock the Bells and I was on a stage doing a freestyle and I, I was so into what I was doing I didn't you know I get going and I look over to the right of me and there's a lady signing my freestyles as I'm freestyling right so since I know that she's signing everything I start rhyming directly to her and telling her to do certain things and she's doing it with this hip-hop signing flair like it was the funniest shit ever and you know the crowd went crazy so for me that was probably like nobody's ever transcribed anything but that was probably one of the closest moments to like seeing your rhyme go out to a whole group of people that couldn't even hear that was a moment for me actually that was a real special moment an unforgettable moment Supernatural what about your technique how wet do you get how wet were you after nine hours oh I was soaking wet I I, I, I was actually uh, you know I got wet dried off and got wet again you know that's it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty pretty 
pretty heavy day that day. How about for monitors and stuff? Do you need good monitors? Do you always need good monitors? Because you must blow out your voice quite a bit if you don't have good monitors. Um, I really don't blow. I try not to. When the monitors are right, that's that's the most beautiful thing in the world, when the monitors are right. Do you go for the in-ear thing or not? I haven't tried it yet, but I'm thinking about trying it. Are there any techniques you have for preserving your voice when you do the freestyles? Um, one thing that I'll tell anybody, and today I broke one of my rules, and I could tell that I broke it when I was on stage, is uh, never drink cold water. Cold water is the enemy of any artist. What it does is when you drink the cold water, it, it draws your vocal cords up. That's kind of why I'm a little raspy right now. I drank a couple of things of cold water today, and I normally never do that. That's one thing. Um, another good tip for your voice to keep your voice good, want a great mixture is lemon, honey, cayenne pepper, and hot water. And that'll bring up anything, and, and it keeps your vocals tight. So those, those, are, those would be my tips. I really don't use anything besides that. Advice, advice in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. But let's go to New York. Work for a second there, Supernatural. What can you tell the people about this band right here, this rocking band, Organized Confusion? Organized Confusion. I can say so much about this record. First of all, big up to Prince Poe and Pharaoh Monch. These guys are like... These are one of, Pharaoh and Prince produced one of my first records ever. It was called um, When I Was King, and the other side of the record was called uh, Voices Inside My Head. And they produced my first, one of my first singles. These are like, Pharaoh is probably one of the most underrated, but most talented MCs on the face of the earth. If you listen to what he writes and the perspective that he writes from, it's, it's unbelievable what, what he's capable of. And I just recently heard um, a song that him and Prince did, you know, it's, and it's about back in the days, like, you know, like being old school and, and, and it's an incredible record, as well as I've heard like two or three of Pharaoh's new records, which you guys are in for a very special treat. So big up to Organized Confusion, very great group, very underrated group, Hollywood Basic, first label they were ever on, you know. But it was Sucker MCs that got you going, wasn't it? They're Supernatural. Yeah, Sucker MCs. You mean with uh, by Run DMC? Oh yeah, yeah, that was one of my first. That was the thing that kickstarted you. Yeah, well, in no. Indiana. Well, no, it wasn't actually Sucker MCs. The very first record that kickstarted me into rhyming would have been Rapper's Delight. And the reason I say that is because my mother was the first one to purchase that record. She bought that record. It wasn't mine. And there was a rule in our house, you know, you weren't allowed to touch stereo. But of course, when my mother would leave and my father would leave, that's the first place that I would go to and listen to music. I mean, what's the big deal with listening to music, even though they didn't want me touching it? But I learned the words to Rapper's Delight, got bored with rapping it, turned the record over, discovered an instrumental for the first time. Right? And when I discovered this instrumental, it changed my life. So I used to say the raps to the song over the instrumental, got bored doing that, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start making my own rhymes. And that birthed my freestyle ability, to be very honest with you. That was my first introduction into the world of freestyle rhyme. Supernatural battles and stuff. Did you ever get a chance to battle Eminem? Was there ever an opportunity to battle Eminem? You battled Proof, but what about Eminem? Um, I never battled Eminem, but um, yeah, I, had a, I, I ran in with Proof. I've battled Juice. I battled skills, you know, I battled a lot of guys, but um, me and him never battled. And um, at the end of it all, you know, like, I really, I, I admire Eminem. He's a great lyricist. He's an incredible writer. And, you know, comes from a place like Detroit. And, you know. He played Vancouver at the Warp Tour years ago. You know, on Rock the Bells, the Warp Tour, yeah. where all the punk bands go. And he was bottled. He was bottled when he was on the stage. He was opening up for a local band called Gob. And he was actually bottled. This is, I guess, before he had his hits. Or this was his hits were coming. 
How would have you reacted to something like getting bottled? What is some of the abuse that has been thrown towards you, Super Nat? To be very honest with you, in all of my career, I've only probably had one thing ever thrown on the stage, and I was in Stockholm, Sweden. And um, as far as being bottled, it's all about how you address the audience. If you go into somebody else's city, you know, and you get on stage, and I don't know if he was... I can I don't know if M was being disrespectful or whatever. I think maybe the crowd just wanted the pop punk band. Exactly. So maybe that's what they wanted. But at any cost, I mean, you know, it's never cool to do that because you're endangering the life of an artist. It's a very stupid thing to do to ever throw anything on a stage. But at the same time, I mean, for me, I've been fortunate enough to come across a certain way where you could put me in front of any audience and I'm going to drag it out of them. I don't care if they're punks, Christians, nuns, you know, Buddhists, whatever. I don't care. Like, you put me in front of them, the one thing that I always pride myself on is I try to touch people in their heart. So, you know. And Would you include the bottle in your rhyme, like if you're rhyming? I might have included it with a few other choice words if somebody ever decided to throw a bottle on stage at me, you understand? Boom! Yeah, you know. <laughs> the new music seminar Supernat, winding up here with Supernat Rock the Bells in New York, they were amazing, weren't they? The late 80s, early 90s, weren't they? The new music seminars, they still have the CMJ, but it's not quite the same, isn't it? What can tell people about the new music seminars? Wow, man, let me be very brief with this one, because I could go on for it a long time, but the new music seminars was something that for me being a young MC and coming up, it was awesome to be able to go to something like that, to be able to go see all of these different artists and, you know, be able to mingle with them and go to different, um, you know, panels where people were speaking and different artists were speaking. You know, like when I got into the New Music Seminar, I wasn't even supposed to be there. I was an alternate, actually. And... I was I just got a deal with East West Records and they they were like, yo, if we could get you in this battle, do you think you could win it? So they got me in a new music seminar and that's how I was really introduced into this lifestyle as far as like, you know, being around hip hoppers and seeing them and being around people that really, you know, knew the music. And MCing Rock the Bells. Now do you have to run over and do the MC thing right now? Um, not yet, not yet, not yet. Are we holding you from MCing? Don't you gotta get up on stage? Nah, not yet. You're not doing your job. No, no, I'm always doing my job. Are you, you see, supposed to be up there super you, you nice? See how trained my ear was as soon as he was done my ear went straight to the stage. I know you're like worried there no 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 I'm good though I'm good but when do you have to get up there I'm worried no we have time we have time at one of these new music seminars I think you battled MF Grimm oh my god that's why I like Narva you see what I'm saying like first of all this guy here interviewers you need to take a note you might look at him and go, oh, he dressed crazy, or he's very energetic. Yeah, he's very energetic, but he's very intelligent, and he does research. Now, for him to know that I battled MF Grimm in the New Music Seminar in 1993, he really dug deep, because a lot of people don't know that. MF Grimm, big up to him right now, he's paralyzed from the waist down. He's in a wheelchair now. Um, he got shot up uptown New York, but uh, he was probably one of the most vicious MCs I've ever came across as far as just rocking and i hope he sees this interview i hope he gets to see this and i i you know he gave me a run for my money that day you know what i'm saying like because and and, and i don't remember many mc's lines but i remember him saying a line to that day and he was like uh 
He said, I have flashbacks like a Vietnam vet. He was like, I'll, I'll cut you in your neck and leave you shaking like an Etch-a-Sketch. And you know, that was like, that was like 93, he was saying stuff like that. So big up to MF Graham. I mean, of course I did defeat him because I actually took his style and reversed it on him. And in this interview I read with him, he said it's difficult going first in a freestyle battle. Like he went first and then you got to go second. And so that's why maybe you won. What do you think about that in a freestyle battle? The person that goes first loses. No, that's not true. I just think that that day... Well, it could have been that Puff Daddy was a judge. No, Puffy was a judge as well. There was a few judges, but one thing that I'll say about MF Graham, I think that he underestimated Supernatural. He didn't, you know, I was a, I was a, like a the new kid on the block. Nobody had really heard of me at that point. Nobody knew who I was. And they were like, yo, we're just going to run run over this guy. And little did they know I had been in my room training for, for, for many, many, many years, you know, waiting for that moment. So, yeah, me and Graham, we had a tussle. And the beautiful thing about all of these battles, battles and all of these moments in life is that we live and we're able to still tell stories about it and that's the candid part about being an MC and I'll say that to all young guys it's no there's nothing wrong with being competitive but when competitiveness turns to violence and violence takes lives then it's no longer music it becomes death you understand? So always remember that those those battles were golden because we can live to talk about them. Supernatural, do you have to watch your back? Like you win the New Music Seminar battle. Do you have to watch your back because people always want to get you? Oh, man, it was crazy. When I first won the seminar, like for the first year, just walking around New York, you know, the whole science of using the word world in anything, world chef, world this, I world that. I was world champ, world rap champ. So then I had this jacket that said it on it. And, Everywhere I went, people wanted to test that. You know, it was like, yo, my, uh, yo, my man right here, my man right here. I got, I got, I got 500 on, on my dude right here. He, he'll burn you right now. You know, that was the, that was everywhere I went. And then, you know, it died down after that. You know, after the battle with me and Craig, and you know, all of those things happened. You know, it was just, it was crazy. But it was fun though too because it, it cemented me into the minds of the people. And, and you know, for well, the, how do you quell one of those type of things? Like nowadays. Rock the bell. Somebody yelling, "Hey, come on, Supernat, let's go, let's go!" How do you not do it? Um, it all depends, you know. You, you, people challenge you on this tour? No, no, no. Warriors fight when they're ready to fight. Soldiers are commanded when to fight. So I choose to take a warrior stance and be wise in how I pick and choose my battles and who I choose to battle with. So uh, people pretty much respect my talent. I don't carry myself as an arrogant or, or cocky or you know the type of dude that is overzealous about his skills i know that this is a blessing and a gift more than just me being the illest and the hardest mc in the world but the way that i i don't really have to quell those things because when your reputation and your talent is a certain way people just automatically respect that and, and, and that's the way that i quell those things is put forth the best energy and you know the best vibe that i can well, Supernat, what about setting up a giant battle? Like, remember the movie Alien versus Predator? Right. Alien versus Predator. I mean, what a matchup that was. <laughs> Alien versus Predator. What about Supernat versus Twista? Ah, uh, that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be fair. I mean, Twister's a good guy. I like Twister. See, it's so hard for me to battle people that are my peers. Now, if a would-be MC comes up and is like, yo, I think that I'm nice and I think that I could get you Supernat, I'll be like, you know what, you go get your boys and you get your money, you put your bread down and we'll get it in. You know what I mean? Head to head. 
You know what I mean? And that's just the way that I am. I, but see, I don't have to sit up here and go, yo, I challenge anybody because that's not it. If you want to, if you want to take the challenge, that's it. But me, I've, I'm going to tell you one thing, Nardwar. I've never been the MC to ever issue a battle. I've never went after a, a MC. They've always came after me, you know, so... That's the way I deal with that. But setting up a battle with Twister, uh, that'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Because like he's so quick, he's so quick. Like, people won't know how good he's doing. I can't, I can't. Like, would that be hard for Puff Daddy to judge? How does Puff Daddy judge something like that if he can't understand what he's saying? Shit, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. Because I mean, I understand what Twister's saying, but to rap that fast is so crazy. You know, like I've always admired people that can rap that fast. If I could rap that, fast, and I mean, I could get up, I can get up to speeds of, you know. We got to time you. We got to time you. Twenty miles per hour. No, I'm joking, but I mean, I can get some speed up. But to really get intricate with it like that, I, I've always admired that chopping style. You know, the chop style from Chicago, the chop style from L.A., the chop style that Tech Nine does. You know, like that's all. That's all a special thing. You know. Supernat, I think it's so great that computer companies recognize you. Oh, they love me. Like they hire you. Oh, yeah, I get I can tell people that, like, computer companies hire you. Surf Expos hire you. Magic conventions hire you. Absolutely. I mean, man, I get work from some of the most random places. But that's, and that goes back once again to saying that if you carry yourself a certain way with a certain spirit, people will always recognize that. And those type of people always recognize that as well as the hip-hop world. So I'm able to morph in and out of any world that I want to go through. So you go to these conventions. Can you describe to the people what you're doing at these conventions? Like these conventions, you're actually hired by these computer places. I'm, I'm Like I've been hired by computer companies, earphone companies, clothing companies. And what they do is basically they hire me to work at their booth. And we'll set up a DJ and we just create hype. We just, you know, get people to come all 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 day. You know what I mean? People come, come all day long and they get to see it and sometimes it's like so people are so corporate and so staunch you know and you know i have my suit and my tie and this, this music and i want to hear it and I, I love those type of people when they walk by because i always reach out and i grab them and i freestyle about them and it always once again transcends all the nonsense and they end up having a great time so yeah i've been hired by companies like that since the early 90s you're a brand ambassador Yes. I love that name, Brand Ambassador. Yes, Brand Ambassador. That's what I do. Now, how do I become a Brand Ambassador, and what would I endorse there, uh, Supernat? You would endorse the world of Nardwar. But what would that be, though? Like, what company would approach me? What could I be a Brand Ambassador for? Uh, let's see. Like, how did you get all those companies to come to you? How did they discover you? A through the internet, through people telling them about me. Like, I worked with Skull Candy for a long time, and the guy from Skull Candy was like, what's a great way to promote the product? And he said some kid in the, in the, in the focus group was like, Supernatural's great. And the guy was like, who the hell is Supernatural, and what does he do? And I love these terms you're using, brand ambassador, focus group. You're yeah. keyed in there, Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know? So it was like, um, he was like, who the hell is this guy? And then he ended up getting me there. And I've, I've been doing things like this for so long, and it's just through word of mouth and getting out at venues and being seen and being as focal as possible. When you do that, that's when that's when things expand. Supernat, lastly, who is Ivan the urban adventurer? <laughs> the urban action figure. Ivan the urban action figure is a very, very close friend of mine. He's probably one of the most talented B-boys on the planet, and that's who you should probably interview next if you ever hear him coming to um, Canada or Vancouver. He's a very, very interesting individual. He can contort his body in so many different ways. He is super strong. He can eat 22 jumbo jacks. <laughs> no, I'm joking, but he really can. But he 
dances all his stuff off like so fast. But Ivan the Urban Action Figure is a very close friend of mine, incredible dancer, and you know, in, in, in just an incredible person, a b-boy that totally has sustained his entire life off dancing. You know, Supernatural. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? What I do want to add is thanks, Nard, thanks Nardwar, for having me on your show and interviewing me. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to have an interview with somebody that is so intelligent and, and, and took the time to interview and tries to bring a little bit something different. And to the world, be as colorful as Nardwar's clothes and always keep your mind open to new things and be able to receive new energy. And before he says it, have a nice dinner. Uh, almost there, Supernatural. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do 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 do. Uh, almost supernatural. Do do the loot do do do. Uh, I call it like I see it on stage, like supernatural. I have traveled the planet and touched many foreign lands From the streets of London to the African fans I've always had a plan to make money expand I can't count how many times life's been in my hand Who would ever thought that I would have so many fans That's why I rock like every time is my last stand I remember growing up as a country boy I never dreamed I'd have a gift that'd bring me so much joy Now I'm a globetrotter, passport, majorly stamped Give me 25 minutes, crowd majorly amped Whether I go on third, second or first I'm not gonna stop Till I take over the earth So that's why I rock and make places my own I've traveled the planet just to serve fakers and clones When it comes to this mic, I'll never leave it alone That's how I got the rep, I'm internationally known It's like traveling all over the world Many different places Just to lace the mic No matter where I've been, whether abroad or the States When I'm in the place, they always recognize the face The way the mic gets laced with impeccable taste I'm known for stealing the show and leaving without a trace And after that, it's back to the bus of the plane To puff a few L's and tune to play the video game Next state, next place, next mic, next flight No matter how tired, the show must be tight So I'll rock for any crowd, whether you're black or you're white This shit is easy to me, like riding a bike Or flying a kite, most deadliest on the mic I'm like the King Cobra with a poison a strike. You know, internationally known. For the game. Internationally known. The B-boy rolling. Touching many When I was in Japan, they was yelling Ichiban. For those that don't know, that means I'm number one. When I was in Paris, before I sit and eat a beat, I would pull up a seat and say bon appetit. The game got two flavors, one bitter, one sweet. We ain't never gonna stop until the mission complete. When I was in Africa, I was revered as a king. This is the year where they kneel and kiss the rings.
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Supernatural, with Internationally Known. And before that, an interview with Supernatural. And before that, Supernatural's Work It Out. And before that, Joe Ski Love with Pee-wee's Dance. And before that, Pee-wee Dance's favorite son, Rapper Nas from Queensbridge. Coming up on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, something that relates to last week's interview with Bernard from Love and Grace and Jim Cummins' I Brain Eater. Before I get to that, I want to say this is the answer to the trivia question that we gave last week to win tickets to go see I Brain Eater perform next Thursday the 20th at the venue as part of the Love and Grace thing tribute to the love affair that Bernard is putting on. The answer was Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Yes, the Nine Inch Nails played the love affair in 1989 for $5,000 to 100 people. Coming up right now is I Brain Eater's life story as read by Lupus Yonderboy. It was I Brain Eater's life story up until probably about the mid-90s, so there's a lot missing, and you can check out I Brain Eater, as I said, next Thursday at the venue here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and maybe tune out if you're easily offended by something that Lupus Yonderboy could be saying here coming up in regards to I Brain Eater's life story on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. Take one. You know, a lot of people ask us, what is Jim come up to anyway? And just who the hell are these brain eaters in some warehouse with strange clothes on and their hair all pulled out? Why don't Jim and Andy make nice music like Barry Manilow? How come he needs so many girlfriends in his life all the time? And why isn't he more careful with the PA system so it sounds like church music on acid instead of 50s ya-ya? Well, good heavens, we are 50s ya-ya, and we like it that way. If you want in-depth, long-haired, pot-smoking hippie analysis of what we are, go to California and talk to our old friend Anton Zandor Levey, if they've let the poor fellow out of jail yet. No, really. Jim is getting famous now, and it means we don't get no peace and quiet anymore. No more just sitting around the breakfast table in our silk kimonos, reading the Observer and smoking Sobranis, and casually throwing darts at the albino alligators that crawl out of the toilet. No, no more of that. Now we get the most excruciatingly beautiful young nubile adolescent girls whose parents don't even know where they are coming over and asking us why we never go out during the day or why Jim takes such an obsessive and complex interest in subatomic physics or whether some of our more drunken and amusing medical experiments with captured heavy metal ruffians from Granville Mall <laughs> in fact amount to murder in the name of our perverted definitions of science. We ourselves express no concern with moral issues, nor are we interested in Robert's rules of order or Duran Duran. 
We want to get things done, and done well, and then go on to the next attempt at a masterpiece. Analysis is for pedants and detectives, both of whom would realize finally how unimaginably puny and stupid they are when confronted with what we really are. And what we really are are practitioners of the black arts, forbidden through the centuries by the puerile teachings of your so-called Christian church. Nice guys finish last, and wankers get thrown down the stairs where we live. If you can't get the product out, get out. Where was I? Oh yes, the questions. A lot of people ask us questions, and not just the underground newspaper guys and art school students either. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. We get questioned by the police and the immigration authorities, and it's a good thing we have such excellent lawyers these days. They want to know dumb stuff like, how long we've been in the country now? Where do we come from? How come we don't pay no taxes? Or the classic one we love so much, you know that girl's not 16? No, we didn't know that. We don't know nothing that's going to get us put in jail, let me tell you. Okay, here it is then. The full, unbridled, unexpurgated story of the Brain Eaters. No Reader's Digest version for the kids. It will shock and astound some of you. But then again, if you didn't want to be shocked and astounded, you wouldn't be here watching this, would you? Well, all right. Perhaps a word of explanation is in order. If only as a public broadcast so that we can get back to our work in the laboratory and not be disturbed. I realize now, in retrospect, that the whole problem began a long time ago. Most of you have probably read somewhere about a large and mysterious explosion which occurred over a remote region of Tsarist Russia in the year 1908. It flattened buildings miles away and made the whole forested region look like Saskatchewan after the blast. Everyone in Russia at that time ran around shouting, What? What? to each other because of the blast's noise and concussion. The whole presumably cosmic event was the talk of the town when the Russians got their hearing back and dominated conversations until the following spring when Rasputin appeared in the court of St. Peter in a puce-green morning smock and announced the end of the world for the fourteenth time in five years in a quavery voice. Anyway, around 1909 a lot of very peculiar things began to transpire in the remote region of the vast steppes of Russia where the explosion had taken place the year previously. A company of Cossacks and scientific men from what was then Petrograd set out to investigate the impact of what was assumed to have been a substantial meteor crash. Dr. Vladimir Barkov was on the subject, as was a friend of my grandfather's, Ilyevich Borinsky, the noted astrophysicist born in Bielorussia. Well, to make a long story less long, they never got no results. 
A group of peasants entering the area on a misguided search for Jesus Christ found the human remains of the Cossack company, their bodies deteriorated by the ravages of the previous winter. The peasants fled in terror, for it was apparent to anyone who had been there that the dead soldiers and scientists had had their brains torn from their bodies, roasted on an open spit, and consumed like Colonel Sanders' Kentucky Fried Chicken, finger-licking good as it were. The story got back to the Tsar, but he was busy playing billiards. Around that time, the man now identified as Jim's grandfather appeared in the deep forests of Krasnoyarsk. He was a large, dark, sullen man who could not appear to be able to speak any language with fluency, but who seemed to have a ready ear for the hardy peasant music well known to the region. And it was to music that he turned for solace and popularity in the filthy rural taverns of pre-revolutionary Russia. The events of August 1914 changed the face of history. Russia was committed by entangling treaty to a war she could not mobilize for, let alone fight. The dark, sullen man who was scheduled to be Jim's grandfather was eventually inducted into the infantry in 1915. Of the 30,000 soldiers and peasants in the dark man's infantry division, only a little over 300 survived the cruelty of machine gun bullets, futile bayonet charges, disease, malnutrition, and endemic madness. Military historians of the time may be forgiven for overlooking the fact that an entire company of Prussians' death's head hussars was found in the autumn of 1916 with their young skulls neatly severed and their brains missing only a mile away from where Jim's grandfather was standing a lonely outpost. In 1917, Russia underwent yet another convulsion, throwing out the moderates under Kerensky, sweeping the Bolsheviks to power, and shooting the Tsar and his family, who were still trying to play billiards. Little is known about the mystery in this period. Rumors flew that a scientific company was sent to the site of the blast at the conclusion of the civil war against the whites in 1923. They found a large, saucer-like object, 100 feet in diameter or so, largely impacted against the mountainside and deserted. The area around the crash site remains barren to this day, but the fate of the strange object, if it existed, was lost with so much else to the ravages of Stalinism. In 1925, Jim's grandfather, the dark man as he was known, married Tanya Andreevich Krelin, a local witch, and she bore him three children. One of them died in an industrial accident, one perished apparently at Stalingrad in the war, and the third was Jim's father, Ivan Vladimir Brzhnitsky. He worked in a tractor factory from the time he was 16, where the murderous intervention of the Soviet NKVD was particularly resented. Three times, in 1933, 
1935, and yet again in 1938, three secret police bosses were found with the tops of their heads neatly sawed off, the brains extracted and absent, and no explanation determinable in spite of the singularly draconian methods employed by the Soviet police to extract information from the hapless workers in the village close to the tractor factory. The murders remain unsolved. In 1941, a rearmed Germany invaded Russia yet again, this time more effectively. It proved too much for Jim's dark grandparents. They slipped away from the factory town and traveled through the woods on horseback, evading the ever-vigilant eyes of the people's police, until they came to the site of the explosion 30 years previously, now deserted and neglected by a Soviet scientific community with more pressing matters at hand. Few eyes were turned to the dark, raining skies that night in the spring of 1942, but if they had been, they would have seen the sky lit up ever so briefly by a large, glowing orb moving with fantastic speed through the leaden skies to a destination beyond imagining. An old innkeeper recalls a tale of how a middle-aged couple had woken him at midnight with demands to be sheltered. They were dressed completely in black, in medieval clothing, and told a fantastic story of their homeland across the stars, a place on the other side of the galaxy, which they called Planet X, Planet of Possibilities. They were never seen on Earth again. Jim's father, Ivan Vladimir Berezhnitsky, was inducted into the Red Army along with all the other men at the tractor factories two days after the German Sixth Army invaded Russia in 1941. He survived fierce battles at Kirsk, at Novobirsk, and yet again at Kubyshev, but his unit was surrounded at the Battle of Minsk in 1943, and Ivan was taken prisoner. Every prisoner of war camp he languished in, the captured Ivan remained strong and agile, while his compatriots withered and sickened on the vine. Every camp he visited, the commanding officer was found one morning, the top of his head removed, the brains missing. In the confusion of the 20th century, no possible attempt was made to link the close proximity of Obrzhnitsky to every one of the mysterious murders, which were identical in nature. As the Red Army turned the tide of the war against the Germans, Ivan was transferred further westward. Deserted by his captors, Ivan and a few starving compatriots were finally liberated by a Mongolian division on a westward thrust. In the horror of the surrounding warfare, there was scant time to notice that the few remaining SS guards perished with only half a skull. Ivan wandered around war-torn Europe like a pirate. He and his ragtag companions kicked down what few remaining doors existed, making the good, boring German middle-class people dance to the music of the machine gun and listen with feigned amusement to Ivan's insipid and moronic jokes told in breaths wreathed in garlic and vodka fumes. Ivan never seemed to need anything to eat, though. And once again, corpses with severed skulls began to appear in the confusion that was post-war Europe. 
The Treaty of Potsdam in 1947 would have sent Ivan back to Russia, and Russia was a place Ivan had no desire to return to. Obtaining false papers and stolen currency from his post-war gangster friends, he departed for Canada in 1948, masquerading as a Hungarian DP. He got a job in Vancouver in 1949 as a millwright and bought a small house in the suburbs. In 1952, he married Maria Magdalena Zellini, an ex-white Russian countess disenfranchised by the revolution as a child who had fled to France and worked as an exotic dancer until she also left for Canada in 1946. She had a job as a waitress, and in the 1950s their friends compared them to Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. That's how cute they were. In 1953, Jim was born. The Russian translation of Brzhnitsky, Brain Eater, proved too much of a tongue twister for the crew-cut school authorities that Jim was exposed to in the late 1950s when he was sent off to school in huge short pants which came to his bony knees. School didn't like Jim, and Jim didn't like school. To make him seem more North American, Ivan and Maria spent money and changed their name to Cummins. But Jim stuck stubbornly to the old family name's translation, Brain Eater. The old family f traits didn't appear to manifest themselves again until the news of President Kennedy's assassination prompted cute little Jim to ask why no one had bothered to eat the president's brains after the job was done on him in Dallas. His mother, Maria, told him it was because he wasn't dead yet. And besides, Oswald Bullet had made a mess of the meal. Jim seemed satisfied with that explanation. Then it happened. In March of 1966, one of Jim's teachers hit him with a stick for truancy, public necking, and smoking cigarettes in the school gymnasium. The next day, the police found his corpse with the traditional empty, severed skull that had become the trademark of three generations of brain eaters. Canada now, too, became aware of a horror only Europe had known before. The RCMP speculated that he may have done the job on himself with a can opener, consuming his own brains until he was dead. But this was never proven, and in any event, they forgot to do an autopsy. The mark of the brain eater was here. In the summer of 1968, at the age of 15, Jim got kicked out of school for good for his insane scientific experiments and his attempted arson conviction. Taking his parents' life savings and combining them with everything gained from pawning stolen stuff for profit, he departed for Europe, pretending he was the water boy on a yelling football team. He slipped away from customs at Heathrow Airport and jumped onto a tramp steamer bound for Bordeaux. The ship was found drifting idly off the coast of Sweden, the corpses of the crew possessing topless, brainless heads. After all this, you probably are wondering just who the hell I am and how I know all this stuff anyway. My name is Graf Maxwell Video von Stroheim. At your service. In 1968, my parents fled the ravages of Czechoslovakia. And in 1969, I was a 16-year-old pimp working the lower quarter in Vienna.
It was while profiting from this dark trade that I encountered a very disheveled, downtrodden young boy named Jim Cummins, who was attempting to steal wallets from American tourists in the Rosenplatz. I finked on the little fellow as part of my ploy, and when he was arrested, I had my lawyers first release him, then get him off the charge, which he was certainly guilty of, in court. He was homeless and had no clothes. He had a guitar, but didn't seem to be interested in food. Not normal food, anyway. I should have suspected. It was all too easy from the beginning to ever bode well. Anyway, the young fellow was beholden to me now. He lived in my fine old house in the Kellerstrasse with all the girls who I had out on the street after dark. He owed me for rent and for the price of the new dandy clothes that I had purchased for him. And uh, I intended to get a, a return on my investments. He lost his virginity to a fat old Romanian businessman by the name of Otto Bloch in the autumn of 1969. I made the equivalent at the time of $35 profit. Over the course of the next winter, I sold him to over uh, 237 people, partially counting passouts, and I made over 8,000 marks profit. Not bad work for one young boy. Eventually, the Austrian police got wise to the fact that I really wasn't running an export-import house after all. And after some sticky legal business that saw me and my prized prostitutes sent off to jail on a morality beef in 1970 for two years, we got out again. I grabbed Jim, who by this time was really crazy from jail, and we hit the road together in the high summer of 1972. Yes, there were mysterious deaths in that Austrian jail. Some particularly nasty prisoners found with no brains and no skullcap. And after that, no one in jail ever messed with Jim again. It was business as usual. The European gay scene was really blooming in places like Paris, Amsterdam, and Munich. I got my boy Jim to cut his hair, and I made hands-over-fist monies out of him, selling him to fat, neurotic old housewives and lonely school teachers. We lived high off the hog in those days, in spite of the deepening recession. We had tried cocaine in the old days, and really got an appetite for it at this time. In fact, Jim got to the point where he really didn't want to be without it for very long, and I always had a steady supply. Besides, the drug was something which bound him to me, ensuring his loyalty and determining that he wouldn't find running away from the benevolent uncle I had become to my boy an easy thing to do. Then it happened. I should have known better. It was inevitable, I suppose. We had crossed the channel, and I was selling my boy Jim on the King's Row in London. We were doing okay, in spite of the fact that Jim kept complaining about all the venereal disease he was getting and about how he was wired. We were at a university dance, where I was attempting to sell Jim to a few old poofy professors for two easy hours' work. The next thing you know... I'm in the common chamber setting up the deal, and Jim comes bursting in all sweaty from the speed, his eyes dilated. He says in his silly North American accent, I'm in love.
I laughed it off because I couldn't believe him after all this time. But he was in love with a young 18-year-old girl by the name of Catherine Sandhurst, a beautiful aristocratic virgin beauty. Boom goes the 100-pound contract we had to blow these old poofs. Boom goes the, my best boy in the stable, my right arm. Away goes all my plans and all my investment. Was I going to let him go? Not bloody likely. Anyway, this beautiful young girl beat my adult mind to the punch and spirited my gym away. Worse than that by far, she started teaching him heresies like that prostitution was maybe not such a nice thing. And that just maybe girls were a lot nicer in matter of love than boys were. Stuff like that. The final tie was severed when she got him off the drug dependency I had carefully nurtured in him and started him lifting weights and eating a high-nutrition diet. He, in return, was loyal to her in a way that he had only been loyal to me before. He went everywhere with her alone, her personal concubine, a slave to her and to his own affected infatuations. It would have to be the understatement of the century to say that I, the great Graf Video von Stroheim, was not at all pleased. Matters quickly came to a head one November night in 1974, when I saw what used to be my gym singing a beautiful German lighter in a student pub outside Oxford. People in the audience, kids mostly, were moved to tears, but not me. I wanted the young fellow back, and I was either going to do it or die trying. It appears his young lady, his muse, had set him up in music school. I wasn't going to have any of that. Late that night, I picked the lock on their hotel room door while they were away eating dinner and deposited a very subtle but powerful sleep-inducing agent in the wine which his Catherine had bought for him and opened to breathe. I departed for the opera, and when I returned to their hotel room later, I was prepared. Asleep in each other's arms, I quickly disengaged the star-crossed romantics and thrust him into a large duffel bag which I had bought, brought with me for this express purpose. After first tying his hands and feet and gagging his cupid-like mouth, I flung him over my shoulder. I dragged what I considered to be rightfully mine back to the hovel I had reduced to, thrust Jim into a specialty bathrest container with holes in it, and shipped him back to Canada. Well, Jim wasn't very happy with the turn of events, understandably, I guess, and when I opened the package in a warehouse in Montreal, he lunged at me, and not with desire either. He managed to find a sharp exacto knife in that barren place, and one night, when I was watching All in the Family and eating my Campbell's beans, he came up behind me and attempted to sever the top of my head in the same fashion that had become a distinctive trademark of the Brain Eater clan. And after all I had done for him, it's a good thing I had been anticipating something like this. And with the aid of a few well-placed judo kicks and the old hypodermic syringe, I managed to subdue the ungrateful boy. Later, when he awoke, I managed to convince him that if I was ever killed or captured, the police would know about his theft. 
and his drug dependency and the gigolo racket which I had set him up in. So, you see, he couldn't really ever truly get away from me. I was still in trouble, though. Catherine had contacted Interpol and told them that she thought a nasty man might have abducted Jim and sent him back to Canada. I changed Jim's hair and name and coerced him back into the old ways of prostitution. Ah, I was back in my prime again. Well, the rest everybody knows about. We came out here on vacation in 1977, and I got Jim together with Trevor and with Evo and Artie and Steve and Crud and Ron and Murphy and Brian and Ian, and finally Andy and Mike and Mike. And they formed a punk rock orchestra. You guessed it, the Brain Eaters. That's the whole missing story. If you don't believe it, too bad for you, because we're going to make plenty of money from your ignorance. Remember, in the dark, cold nights of impending winter, I brain eater, and I go back a long, long way. I want some Space is 
The following is a live presentation of CITR News.